When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. The Anchor Podcast is part of the Vanderbilt Sports Network, a partnership between Vanderbilt Athletics and Learfield. Listen to audio broadcast of Commodore football, men's and women's basketball, and baseball all season across our network. Affiliates can be found on VUCommodores.com under the Fans tab, or you can stream for free by downloading the VU Commodores app. Here comes a pitch. Swing and a miss! Strike three! It's Omaha for Vanderbilt! Cutler takes the snap, fires the slant, pass caught for a touchdown! We have a chance to do it right. I'm determined to do that. I know that good things are in store. Right over Stanford for a two-run shot. Dominic Keegan goes deep. Pierce with a tremendous catch. Hit well down the left field line. Back to the corner, to the wall, to the house! That ball is gone! That ball is gone! John Norwood! Oh my goodness! Welcome back to this edition of The Anchor. Andrew Allegretti here with Kevin Ingram on tap here today. Plenty of conversation about Vanderbilt football. We've got interviews and conversations with Tom Hartz from the SEC Network, as well as Darren Ambrose, a soccer coach here at Vanderbilt. Great conversation that Kevin had with him as their season is officially underway. They've had an exhibition match and more to come shortly here in the month of August. But Kevin, first things first, we yes, start with Door Jam. 
It is back Saturday, August 21st, 3 to 5 at Vanderbilt Stadium. It's a free event. Coaches and student-athletes from all of the programs will be there. You've got games. Uh, you've got music. You've got prizes. I believe you can play certain games against student-athletes oh, in yeah? particular sports. Hmm. Uh, so I know that's been done in the past, but it is back. <laughs> it is back on the 21st. You and I will be out there and uh, kind of serving as, as MCs or doing contests and all that sort of thing so yeah it's going to be a lot of fun it's always a cool event uh i know there's there there has been in the past a band put together of folks that work over at the hospital i believe that it may be may include some others from around campus that that work here some staff members but they they've played at this in years past so uh yeah it's always a lot of fun it's just a good chance to get out and meet some of the coaches and student athletes and and have a good time and and as you said it's not just going to be football it's going to be at student athletes uh from all different programs so it should be a lot of fun yeah of course so many new faces here on campus would love to see you out here specifically Mm -hmm. whether it's seeing coach clark lee or shay ralph or whatever it is I hope we'll see you at Vanderbilt Stadium Saturday, August 21st, 3 to 5 p.m. All right, let's talk football camp. Uh, We'll get into some conversations that we had with Tom Hart, touch on soccer, but we start with football camp. Week one underway. Give me one big takeaway that you've seen from watching practice so far. Organization would be uh, mine. Uh, the Things are very organized to the minute uh, in terms of watching practices like 24 periods five minutes each everybody knows where they're going uh and football practice you see a lot of different things going on you'll go from uh periods of individual work and drills jump into a scrimmage period a seven on seven uh a lot of that sort of thing but i think just being organized uh, that's been i think one of the themes for this program since clark lee took over as head coach and that's one thing i think you and i have both noticed is you know everything has a purpose everything has a place they they know at all times what direction they're going in whether it's running a drill or it's you know doing scrimmage work or whatever uh as far as on the field watching the quarterbacks i mean that that's i think that's top of mind for everybody whether it's ken seals or mike Wright or jeremy musa we've watched all those guys take a lot of snaps over a couple practices and uh you know, it'll be interesting to see as we get a little closer how those things develop and as you get into the season too. But uh, watching the quarterbacks and watching a receiver group that I think, quite frankly, has looked pretty impressive and maybe uh, the, the one position group to me, if you ask me to pick one, that stood out in the practices I've seen, I think that might be the one. Yeah, there's some significant depth at that wide receiver position. It's very interesting as well uh, to kind of watch uh, both the upperclassmen, whether it's Cam Johnson or some of the underclassmen, um, you can go right down the list that there's there's people that have made some plays that have been very interesting uh, to kind of keep our eye on. Um, you talk about big takeaways for week one. I think you nailed it. The organization. Look, football practices look remarkably like football practices. Right. Uh, to an extent, when you've seen one, you've seen many. But if you've seen enough, you can kind of pick out differences of pace and style and purpose. And there is a Christmas an energy, a purpose to what happens and a pace to everything out there, which I don't have the context of previously. uh, But I think very clearly Coach Lee has established his pace, his purpose. And I think I keep going back, Kevin, to something he said um, at SEC Media Days, and I suspect he said it a bunch of times. He's trying to figure out with his coaching staff how he can get his guys to occupy the same space that they occupied before, with different intention yeah um it's 
it's another fancy way to say we've got to do all of the stuff that we've done before in a better way. Yeah. Um, and I think you can see that out there. Uh, it's so fascinating to watch Coach Lee coach. Um, some people love the rah-rah, high-energy coach. Uh, and I'm a huge fan personally just because of the ties of Shane Beamer at South Carolina. He's a rah-rah, I'm going to run the drill with you type of coach. Mm -hmm. In fact, he's literally run the drill with him. Yes, exactly. Uh, coach Lee is not. Um, he feels like the football version of watching Brad Stevens to me, the Boston yeah. Celtics coach. Uh, very thoughtful, uh, patient, poised, direct. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not messing around out there, uh, but he's very poised and patient and calm. Um, and I'm fascinated with that style of coaching. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I naturally gravitate to that or what, but I'm intrigued by it, and I think it's fun to watch him do that. I also think what happens when you have that sort of demeanor is that when you decide to ratchet it up another mm -hmm. level, it grabs everybody's attention. And it's been noted a couple of times in post-practice press conferences that I think the first one. Uh, he kind of got after the guys some. And it's not necessarily new that he's done that. In fact, he said, they've seen that side of me before. Yeah. But when he decides to take that uh, style, it grabs people's attention. Uh, and and I, I'm very intrigued with how he goes about it throughout the course of camp, how he goes about it throughout the course of the season. Look, he, he said flat out, the very first practice, he did not like the energy that the guys brought. That's a quote from him. He was disappointed with day one's energy. But to his point previously, he's trying to get them to understand how to occupy their spaces in new and different and better ways. And I think that's sort of been the table setting that we've seen in week one. It's going to happen at the style of a Coach Lee program. And watching those mechanisms upgrade is very interesting. You know, you and I stood out there with, with some other media members and watched that practice on Friday, the first one. And we saw, we were down there waiting for him to come by and do his media session. We, we saw some, you couldn't hear everything that was going on, but we saw his address to the team. And, and he, was, he was bringing the heat a little more than maybe people have seen. And, yeah, and I, I think it did catch some people's attention. But to me, that's, that's football practice. That's being a football coach. And that, that's what that's what he's going to do. And, and like you were saying, I that was i'm sure by no means the first time those players had seen him bring it uh, maybe a little more than than people on the outside had seen um but yeah to me that's kind of part of it i was thinking about his old coach bobby johnson when he was here he could bring the heat a whole lot more than people would may have ever known or could imagine um i i would catch post game comments from the coach with the team but before everybody else got in there or before you know he might have gone to the podium and you know he, he could bring it with the best of them so to me that all kind of to, to answer your question to me all that kind of comes with the territory uh and a lot's been made of uh, coach lee's cerebral cerebral a lot has been made of coach lee's cerebral approach if i can say it um <laughs> but and he's, uh, you know, you don't hear many coaches use the word holistic when uh, talking about uh, getting ready to play a football season. Correct. But I do think it's an interesting and fascinating way of uh, of coaching. But 
Uh, every coach has his own distinct style. He will find his style as he as he goes along here in his first year as a as a head coach. But uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch him grow into that role uh, as a first time head coach after being a coordinator and a you know position coach and all all different roles during his career. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it. Again, I do think I kind of naturally gravitate to that particular style for whatever particular reason. Um, and if nothing else, if nothing else, Kevin. Um, to connect with student athletes and players, you have to be your genuine self. If you are a put on in any particular way, they'll sniff it out Absolutely. and they will tune you out. And I think Coach Lee has established that he has his own voice and he is going to be his own person. And for a lot of first time head coaches, that's very hard. Um, so if you're looking for markers of success early on for Coach Lee, that one grabs my attention because having your own voice this quickly can be difficult. And he's done a nice job. You got every uh, every sort of approach along the uh, the entire spectrum in the SEC, don't you? Yes. From from the uh, thinking man's approach of Coach Lee to the hardcore Nick Saban to Go Tigers, you know, that, right. down at LSU, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got a little bit of everything in this league. To me, that's one of the things that makes it fun and interesting, though, uh, because there there are lots of different ways of winning football games. I always say that's one of the things I like the most about college football. Say you watch offenses or watch defenses. If, if you watch the NFL, a lot of it is pretty much the same. It's different versions of the same thing. In college football, it is all over the map. You see all sorts of different types of offenses. In the end, maybe there is a certain formula that, that wins more than others. But to me, that, that's one of the cool things about football is it, there, there are all sorts of different ways of winning football games, and you see a little bit of everything. All right, let's talk quarterbacks quickly, and then I want to get an under-the-radar player from you, whether it's offensively or defensively. But let's start with the quarterback position because, of course, um, Ken Seals, Mike Wright, Jeremy Musa, uh, one week, three or four practices so far, not a ton to be taken away, but what's grabbed your eye? Uh, just watching him learn this offense and the pace of this offense, uh, you know, you go out there and it's the first day of practice, first couple practices, you're going to see some good throws. You're going to see some bad throws. You're going to see DBs get beat. You're going to see receivers win some of those battles, a little bit of everything. But, uh, you know, Ken Seals had a terrific freshman season. You know, he had the ups and downs. He threw for 1,900 yards, a bunch of touchdowns. There were turnovers interceptions that you'll learn along the way as a first year player that okay freshman year to sophomore year you you hope you're not going to make those same mistakes again I think that's going to be a one of the things for him uh the the speed of Mike Wright to me is always what stands out about him um and and where he's going to fit in it it feels like there's going to be a spot for him not just in in some sort of Situation where Seals either isn't available or or whatever. You know, if indeed Ken is a starter, and I don't want to speak out of turn, um, but it, it feels like there's going to. I guess my point is, it feels like there's going to be a spot for both those guys. For sure. Uh, and and I'll be interested to see kind of where Jeremy Musa fits in too. I mean, we've we've seen him take snaps out there, and uh, uh, I I feel like the quarterback situation and the receiver position are two spots to feel good about for this football team. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I think one thing that Coach Lee has noted is the fact that all of these guys are getting fairly equal reps. Yeah. Uh, it's worth starting there. Um, he does not want to, as he said, pass judgment on these guys too quickly. I'm sure he's got his own thoughts, and I'm sure the staff has their own thoughts about how to best use all of these guys. But for the time being, the desire is to get them fairly equal reps uh, and let them establish rhythm and consistency with the receivers with the running backs and with the offensive line so if you're 
this quickly in camp saying, oh, I wonder who's separating themselves. At yeah. least based on reps, you're not going to see that just yet. Um, he said both have matured as leaders, both have made plays, but time will tell, and I think that's probably where all of this is going to go. Sure. I, I, don't, I don't think I could add anything about the skill set about Ken, Mike, or Jeremy that people don't already know. Um, but to your point, there is some fairly high-level quarterback play happening on those practice fields. Uh, does it need to continue to go up? Undoubtedly so. Sure. Undoubtedly so. Uh, but you talk about raw talent that some of these guys possess. It, it gives you tools to work with if you're David Rye, if you're Coach Lynch, if you're Coach Lee. All right. Off the radar players. Uh, so much, obviously. <laughs> Ken Seals, Mike Wright, Cam Johnson, even Ray Davis, the Temple transfer at the running back position. I, 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 don't, I don't know uh, who the quote-unquote top-end guys that people want to list are. But if you're going through this, and we've been out at practice uh, over the past couple of days, and we're trying to be cautious to not over-talk on what is on the record and off the record, <laughs> right. very candidly, right? The first 20 minutes or so technically is the on-the-record portion of practice. Um, who's someone that maybe has grabbed your eye so far that you think people haven't talked about that might be able to make an impact somehow? It's kind of hard to say because, yeah, you know, you watch a couple practices and, and you, know, you almost feel like you need to watch a, a bigger sample size to see some of that. Super to, small sample to, size. To me, right Will Shepard has yeah. stood out. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the you know big stars of the spring game. We've seen him make some plays, make some catches. Um, I, I hope he can continue to to be that and, and continue to progress and uh, you know be a, a key piece in that receiver group. I, I know he's a, I know he's a veteran player and he's probably not he's probably not under the radar. But Davion Davis to me on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it just feels like he's kind of setting the example for everybody else in everything they do, whether it's uh, conditioning workouts or, or, or whatever, doing drills or scrimmage work. It feels like he's one of those guys on that defense. Well, it's a fairly decent pick. I mean, you can go through his statistics. I think his first year was four starts, maybe one start yes, uh, a season ago for Davion Davis. So uh, it's not like he's been this mainstay consistently. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's clearly someone that is poised to make a very significant leap for this program and in this league this season, I, I think. Look for the purpose of the question, which I posed. Yeah, <laughs> so what do you got? <laughs> I know, right? So I suppose I have the ability to structure the response however I want to. Uh, but the freshman running back Patrick Smith has been, at least to me, noticeable. I don't have the slightest idea about his ability to process defenses, to pick up the blitz to do all of those smaller things um, that will be ne uh, necessary to be a long-term successful running back. Having said that, this freshman from New Jersey has a skill set. He's a bit quote-unquote undersized. He's not a huge running back, but his shiftiness, his explosion is on display fairly consistently. And even in the first 20 minutes of practice that's on the record, he gets noticeable reps. Um, so does Ray Davis, so does Rocco Griffin, uh, so does the rest of the running back stable. You can go down the list there, but there's something about the explosion of Patrick Smith, the freshman running back, that I'm at least going to be curious to follow throughout the rest of fall. Um, adding as many offensive weapons is going to be vital 
for Vanderbilt. Um, all of the great teams anywhere have depth, mm-hmm. period. Uh, Ray Davis, the Temple transfer, looks really good to me. I think, I, I've, I've been impressed with him. I think he looks yep. really good, and I think he can be a contributor. Uh, but depth is always the separator because people will get tired. People will get hurt. There is attrition. So you need people that are off the first line of the depth chart to make a play. And and for whatever reason, Patrick Smith is someone that I'm at least going to notice a little extra moving forward. And we'll see if that changes. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the interviews that we've got coming up on this episode of the podcast. The first one is Tom Hart. And I, I don't want to spend gobs of time talking about this because I think everybody is mentally exhausted uh, talking about everything at this particular moment in time after going through everything that we've been going through. But in essence, we recorded this conversation with Tom back at SEC Media Days, and it was coming right off of Commissioner Sankey's conversations about driving vaccination rates up for teams and the possibilities of season interruptions. Things have moved and evolved over the past month or so. We are, it is floating out there in the ether that these things are, these things are being talked about. Commissioner Sankey took his time on the podium down in Hoover to, to talk about we're going to minimize the the comfort level with schedule changes, right? We don't we don't want to do it. Like, if you can't play, it's going to be a forfeit. That was essentially the, the conversation. So that was the, the tone and tenor of the conversation with Tom, that and his shoes. Yes, Tom was rocking the Air Jordan 3s, which I, I would say if you polled people who, who like Air Jordans, that, that would always be one of the top choices. To me, the fun thing about the and, and we talked a little with Tom about the shoes. I was teasing him about it at the end. Um, no, no, no. Go ahead. Let me take the heavy stuff, and you can talk about the shoes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Andrew's self in the line Andrew, Andrew's going to ask all the good questions, and I'll ask about the <laughs> shoes. Uh, but yeah, the the Air Jordan threes are always a, a popular choice. Um, I would like to have a pair myself, but uh, for anyone Tom, listening, Tom. Uh, probably you know can afford to maybe a little more than i can uh, he did enough games last year that was for sure now yes, tom's a great guy and uh we we really enjoyed talking to him and uh he has to be one of the the busiest guys over the last year and a half i mean you think about how many games he has done and really how many games he's done remotely it's remarkable to me that that you can do as good of a job as he did um calling the games not being on site you and i have both done some of that it's not easy and and he really did a terrific job with it i know uh some of our sec network folks have worked with him on some linear games but uh, he, he's one of the best he really is very nice guy it was a great conversation I enjoyed it a lot all right so a conversation with tom hart about a bunch of different mm-hmm. stuff but keep in mind it was recorded right after commissioner sankey's uh press conference down in Hoover at SEC Media Days. Darren Ambrose after that and then we'll return. Get a couple of thoughts on soccer, the new uniforms, and a congratulation to uh, someone within the Vanderbilt baseball family. Just a second. Back in a moment after this from Tom Hart and Darren Ambrose. All right, Tom, let's start with this in terms of Vanderbilt. And as you guys get set for this season, a lot of new coaches out here. We're at SEC Media Day. I think seven coaches are making their first trip. There's a handful of first-year coaches. Of course, Clark Lee is one of them. As you guys do your prep for your season, uh, what are you guys talking about in your production rooms about what Clark Lee might be able to bring to Vanderbilt this year but long-term as well? I think the question is, to me, there's uh, two overriding questions. Um, And this is... Not the best X and O talk, but number one, 
it's really boring. The vaccine rates. Sure. And obviously, if Vanderbilt as a university is requiring everybody to be vaccinated, then that takes a football program out of this discussion. But for discussion's sake, Greg Sankey's time and his words are extremely valuable. And for him to stand at the front of the assembled media and at the podium and talk about thresholds and only a portion of teams meeting thresholds and the importance of those thresholds and um, the repercussions for teams that, that may come down with COVID or have outbreaks during the season, that is a huge red flag for me. And the reason I say that is because he has this opportunity to use that time to promote the league and to talk about what matters most to him. If he is telling us that that is important, we should listen. And when I say we, I mean the fans should be aware of how much this means to the health and safety of the players and to a, quote, normal, unquote, season. But the coaches need to listen, too. That was a message delivered to the head coaches saying, get your team ready to play. And by getting them ready to play, that means doing everything you're in, in your power to have everyone vaccinated or as many as you can. Now, there will be, as we sit here today, Nick Saban hasn't taken the podium yet. There will be another message sent. The, the numbers that I'm hearing from Alabama is that they are 98% vaccinated. If Nick Saban shares that number at the podium, that will have a ripple effect through all college football because every AD will hear that, and every head coach is going to say, huh, the guy who's arguably the greatest coach in the history of this game has gotten to that number? We're playing catch-up with Alabama, and we're going to have to prioritize this because I'm afraid – that there is still the opportunity. If Greg Sankey spoke about it, there must be a concern there that this season gets interrupted in some way, some form or fashion. So that's number one. Number two, the uh, transfer portal. What happens at Vanderbilt when you have an elite skill position player? It doesn't have to be skill position. I mean, there have been incredible players that have come through that program in the last four or five years that I've enjoyed covering that have gone on to the NFL that had incredible years or careers. What happens when another school comes knocking on the door? What is the value of a Vanderbilt education and a, that diploma to keep them in Nashville versus if it's not moving in the right direction and the wind totals aren't there and the bowls aren't there to say, huh, I could, I could go down to Alabama. Nick Saban needs a running back. Um, Texas A&M could use me at middle linebacker. So from a Vanderbilt perspective, those are two things that, that – I'm really looking forward to and, and we're talking about on a regular basis. Um, to be in a position, though, from a football perspective, this is the other part, is there are very few teams that have reliable quarterbacks who have been through the fire. Um, Vanderbilt's got it. Missouri's got it. Georgia's got it. A half, a half of a two-thirds of a season. That is an incredible weapon to have for Clark Lee at his disposal. Somebody who's who knows what the league is like and has played in these games. What do you think the, the season's going to look like as far as like fans in the stands and looking more normal? Do you feel like we'll be back to close to that when, when September gets here? If you would have asked me this, Kevin, before Greg Sankey took the podium, I would have said, well, yeah, we're, we're going to look perfect. But then again, I, you know, in Omaha, I was the one calling the NC State game where they only had 13 available players, and I feel like that was, that was a giant red flag because I don't know what your thought process was, but I had kind of forgotten about the possibilities of a coach. COVID interruption and what it would mean to a, to a team 
as it did NC State. Um, so knock on wood, I think we're going to have great crowds. And we're going to have enthusiastic crowds. We're going to have people that want to be in the stadium are going to come watch. I'll just talk to some folks who are in the Tennessee program. To use them as an example, their season ticket sales are as low as they've been since Dooley was the head coach. And I think that there are certain portions of fan bases that got comfortable at home watching the game and have said to themselves, why put myself through getting to the stadium, going through all that rigmarole. I, I'm very comfortable with my big screen television. I could sit here. So I, I think there are some programs that are going to feel that sting this year, and, and there's going to be a gradual return of those, those fans in the periphery. But for the programs that are having big seasons and championship aspirations, I firmly believe that ticket demand is going to be there. Uh, I guess I can play devil's advocate for a second. If the SEC is going to get its probably two teams into the college football playoff, we're talking about vaccine rates and the fear of a forfeit effectively is the conversation from Greg Sankey there. I don't want to use the phrase, so what? Uh, Because that seems ridiculous. But if the SEC is going to get its two teams in the college football playoff, whether it's Alabama and fill in the blank, like, I don't know, why is the vaccination rate causing quite so much of a heart palpitation if it's a couple of forfeits throughout the course of the season? I can answer that two ways, just for conversation's sake. Number one is, let's rewind. Why did we have a college football season last year? To me, it's a very simple money, and I don't mean to be pessimistic, but it was about money. For right? sure. I mean, bills need to be paid, right. and that is how you pay the bills. Uh, and th- none of this, by the way, is inside information. This is just my, my take on this. But part of a big part of the money-making empire that is college football is providing television content to your television partners. So to tell those television partners um, – our schedule may be in flux. <laughs> you're telling them that you're not going to be able to maximize your advertising dollars. You're not going to be able to maximize your, your revenue. And I don't think the partners would be too happy with that, number one. Number two, if Greg Sankey has brought this up for being an issue in the SEC, which is the most forward-thinking conference in collegiate sports, there is no question in my mind that the red flag that he raised here with this conference should be times a thousand for the rest of college football because if it hasn't been addressed with all of the resources in this league that means that no doubt no doubt that there's going to be issues in conference usa and the sun belt and probably the big 10 and the pac-12 and the mountain west and everyone else and then all of a sudden if you have scheduled disruptions which isn't the only bad thing, but that's what we're talking about right now. If you have schedule disruptions at that point, you have some real continuity issues when it comes to college football. Um, so I, I think it's a concern. And if you're just talking about uh, tournament teams or championship caliber teams, well, let's, let's say, for example, that uh, – well, we know it won't happen to Vanderbilt, right? I mean, not going to, but the vaccination rate is going to be 100%. It has to, it's mandatory to be 100%. Mandatory. So, so let's just use Vanderbilt as, as the example, which we know it's not possible. Let's say uh, Vanderbilt has Texas A&M on the schedule, and they miss the Texas A&M game, and Texas A&M is gifted an SEC win via forfeit. Is that fair to Alabama? 
like the schedule disparity then for championship contenders could get thrown out of whack as well. Um, I think last year we're all okay with that because we're just so concerned with getting as many games played as possible and moving towards the end goal, which was crowning a champion. Yeah. And to maximize whatever revenue could be found last year. Um, but we're not as willing to forfeit those opportunities this year. MLB is a good example. Um, they did a really an amazing job getting the Cardinals and the Marlins to play as many games as they did that last year, right? This year, it's not really as big a concern, but I think at the same time, like they're, they're not going to just allow games to go by the wayside. Red Sox, Yankees get banged on a Thursday night. You're playing two on Friday. That's right. right? We're going to get these games in uh, for an economy of schedule and to make sure that it is as level playing field as possible. Uh, I'll just add this. I didn't ask that to say that I don't care about the vaccination rates, but to provide some context as to why it matters, right? Um, you talked about the television inventory. You could take it right back to the athletic departments. Anytime a game gets canceled, depending on the school, you're talking about a 3 to $5 million game day hit if a game gets forfeited. And let's just say you're Vanderbilt uh, and fill-in-the-blank team is supposed to come to Vanderbilt Stadium. You lose that home game, and you're Dr. Lee. You, you just you just lost a chunk of your budget for that particular year. And, of course, uh, we gloss over the health and safety stuff. That is very real and in there, too. But from a financial standpoint, can you imagine being a home team, having somebody else not hit their vaccination rates, and you'd lose out on $5 million, and all of a sudden you've got to cut staffers or something along those lines? That's a great point. And, and so we know what Vanderbilt's situation is. Uh, in terms of vaccination, they'll, they'll be above the threshold. How is that fair if that happens? What if, what if Missouri's at 35% and Missouri can't come to Vanderbilt? How is that fair to Vanderbilt, right? Hey, we've done everything that's been asked of us as a football program, also big picture as an academic institution. We have an agreement that you come to play this game, and we rely on that team showing up. And that's, I'm sure, part of Greg Sankey's concern to let's just let's get everybody as close to where we need to be as possible so we can – uh, avoid those if at all if at all possible all right one more for me i gotta say the jordan threes are, are sweet so my favorite oh absolutely <laughs> i mean that, that's like high school days for me man i can't keep up with cole kublik's shoe game yeah but it's there's an old country song um you guys will notice i, I forget who sang it but i'm not as good as i once was but i'm as good once as toby i ever was toby Keith, yeah. yeah toby, toby Keith. Keith. I, I don't need 14 pairs of Jordans, although um, name, image, and likeness, I'm, a, I'm willing sure. to sell yeah, myself to, yeah. to get those. But if I can have one to mix in the rotation for a special event like this yeah. and, and to impress Kevin Ingram, then yeah. I did something right. Yeah, yeah. Did, I mean, were you a three guy back in the day? or I mean, So this is, this is my theory. I came from a modest background. I love playing basketball, but my dad would, my dad was of the thought that you're going to get one pair of basketball shoes and you're going to wear those for every single practice in every single game and then next year you'll get another pair of basketball shoes, right? There is no way my dad was going to spend the money on Air Jordans right. for me to go play in. So this was a uh, that would have been considered a luxury item. Now that I'm a grown-up and I can choose what I spend yeah. my money on, 
as, as much as my wife may roll her eyes, I said, okay, that's going to be my treat for myself. <laughs> See, my wife encourages me to do that. But but on the flip side, she, she gets her shoes, too, so it works out well. You know? How big is your shoe closet? Not that big. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, awesome stuff. Thanks so much. Well, it's great seeing you guys. Congratulations on the new roles for both of you. I think it's, it's fascinating, and it's going to be fun to follow and listen and watch all your content. Um, it's it's really cool the way this is all setting up to have a, a running mate to kind of get you through what can be a very long season. Yeah. Because let's let's be honest, to close, like you guys have something different than than most schools in the SEC. You have a baseball program that takes you through the end of June more years than not. That is a very long calendar year for what we all do. So congratulations to you both. Thanks. Hey, Tom, appreciate it. Thank you so much. You, you seem like you're pretty excited and fired up about this group after uh, watching a practice out here. Yeah, I, I go back to May and June after the, the, the marathon of the season. And I, I, I and I talked to our older kids, and it drained all of us. And I think we really needed the break. And even in early July, you're saying, okay, season's coming up. Am yeah. I ready yet? Am I ready? And and I realized I was ready probably the last two or three days after we started. And, and it's, it's partly the energy of the kids is great. The staff, we're all excited. Lots of new faces, lots of good players. And, and I think there's a sense amongst a team of wanting to, really wanting to do really well. Yeah. And, and they want to learn. They want to get better. And I think as a coach, that's what a great spot to be in, to have kids like a blank canvas and and and, and really do something with with a group of kids who want to do it. Yeah. You do have some veterans, though. You, yeah. you, you got some, some players. Matty Elwell's been here a long time. Ira Conti, you know, same thing. But uh, how much does it help to have those who, who've been through yeah. all that stuff and can help the younger players along? I, I, think it's, I think it's critical, and I think there's a balance that's needed. There's, there's, you've got teams that sometimes have so many older players who, you know, again, they... They know everything, and they, they know what they're doing. They, the coaches aren't needed as much. And, yeah. you know, I think here you've got a balance of kids who can see what role they can play and the importance of that role, and yet they, I think, recognize they need help from us too to, to help guide these younger kids. So I, I think with, with with an Elwell and an Ella and Meyer, and I do I just feel like they've, they've been here for 10 years. Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a great thing about that, and the relationships are really strong and I think really respectful. Um and I think that the way they go about doing what they do paints a really good picture for those younger players. So when we start talking about principles of play and how we play, yeah. as long as they're verbally reinforcing and having conversations and they're doing a little bit of coaching and taking what we're saying and translating it, then I think we, we have an opportunity to really mature younger players much faster than if we just did it by ourselves. It, a whole lot of what you like to do is, is about being defensively responsible. Yeah. How long does it take young players to sort of understand that part? Or they've, you know, they've probably been in a much different role when you're coming out of club or high school. Yeah. The, the phrase I hear from every freshman class, and I, I joked about it this morning with Quinn Cornog, who is, who is a very, very accomplished player and a very good player from Texas. And uh, we did defending, and I said, well, how, what do you think? And she said, I've never done this before. And I said, Quinn, every freshman every year has said the same thing for the last 22 years. <laughs> and, that's, and it's because you're not exposed, but that's the difference between club and college. And then there's a difference between college and the pros. But, yeah, there's a lot of principles where there's thought in how you defend. Everyone thinks defending is, you know, it's, it's aggressive, and there's a, certainly a part of that. And my thought is there's a goalkeeper when I used to watch games as a player and I'd be constantly looking and moving and how do we cover that space? And defending is a thoughtful art. 
that requires a few seconds of violence. Yeah. And I want our kids to be able to reproduce the aggressive, violent moment and committed to winning the ball when it's their turn. But what we really want is to put them in a position to frustrate a team and to deny anything easy. And that is really communication and shape. And it is incredibly intricate and very, very difficult. Because if you're off by a couple of steps, you're late with your communication by two seconds, one second, it changes everything. And then you're exposed. And the list level, when you get exposed, you can give up a goal in a heartbeat. So it's really hard for our younger kids. Our freshmen are often kind of blindfolded coming into this. Sophomores have got a little better grasp. But that also depends, again, as we just talked about, well, what are our seniors and juniors saying who really have got a better idea? And as long as they paint the picture and we can demonstrate using those kids, and then, again, the, the, the growth rate is faster. But it is very it's difficult because it's not about necessarily this rah-rah, let's-kill mentality. It's, it's really about shape, movement, and communication. And, and I think that's the, the foundation. To We've got to build that foundation early to be successful. You talk about goalkeepers. Is that one of those things that sort of evolves as you go through your training and, and you sort of try to figure out you know, how it's all going to fit together? I know we, we've seen that in years past. Yeah, it's, it is. Goalkeepers, and, and from, an, from kind of taking what we just talked about, you know, when the ball gets into the final third, the general has to be the goalkeeper. And they've got to be really confident in what they're saying and how they're organizing those players in front of them. And the best goalkeepers are the ones who do the least work. And, and now what I mean by that is they are making everybody else do the work and putting them in positions where, at the end of the day, the ball that gets the goalkeeper is one that was so difficult for the opposition that it's really easy for the goalkeeper. And, and if you can limit those breakdowns to a couple, and then the goalkeeper makes that game-changing save once a game, twice a game, you've got a chance to win games. If you're breaking down all the time, you're going to get overrun and you're going to give up goals. So the goalkeeping piece is interesting because there's an athletic component, there's a reaction, there's a physical piece. Can you make saves? Can you do this? But then there's a composure and a communication component, which often takes you know, a little bit of time. You need some experience back there. So with us right now, you know, again, we've got Kate, who played a couple of games in the spring, and we've got Sophie, who played a game or two in the fall into spring. And you've got Sarah uh, Wojo, as we call her, who's a freshman, who is, I think, right now, looking and trying to figure out sure. how this works. But they've all got the athletic technical, the technical components, they're good with their feet, they can make saves. And now it's just about how do they organize us and how do we, who do we need to teach the most and how do we, how do we communicate that to them. How special has it been to sort of think back and what this program has become and has accomplished you know, with, with the success in the SEC and, and really beyond that over these last few years? It's, I guess it's... It's, it's incredibly rewarding from a perspective of watching kids come in as freshmen, and we just described your typical freshman. Yeah. <laughs> right? And in most programs, wide-eyed, overwhelmed, feel they're a good player coming in, but suddenly they don't feel like a good player because everyone's good here. You hear that all the time, but what's really fulfilling is watching kids like Matty Elwell, Myra Conti, Reagan go from having a good foundation to to being all SEC, to being a player of note in this country, to being drafted, to be watching them grow and watching how they lead and how what kind of people they become through through mistakes, but how they manage that and what that ends up in if, if enough of them are doing that. Mm-hmm. You have a chance to win the things we've won. So the rewarding part is is watching these kids and developing relationships with them that are very difficult. There's any relationship, anything that involves 
human interaction is complicated when you have stress and things on the line but if you can manage that the, the, the watching these kids make decisions watching them learn from mistakes watching them grow and become more confident that's kind of the cool piece to me sure and, it, and, and if, if it ends up in a trophy great if it ends up that we just we put everything into it we got we got better we competed we got beaten by a better team on the day hey let's tip our hat to the opposition who were better than us let's do that and let's accept that there's still someone maybe a bit better than us but let's not walk away feeling we never really gave all we could yeah. we didn't really improve and that, that to me, if, if I map out a season, is what I want it to look like. And again, if you've got the right kids and there's, you manage injuries and right Which things like that, things. watching it evolve is, is more through watching each player and those kids develop a relationship and a camaraderie and a personal growth. And then sometimes you win trophies, and that's awesome. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's nice to see Vanderbilt, this, this program, I think now being respected as a as a team that's that's a team to play against, and you know it's 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 the the respect for the program is really validating in a way that we came and took something from where it was to where it is, um, but we, we we came because we expected to do that, we wanted to do that, and now it's a slightly different approach of how do we maintain and how do we how do we grow the next generation of recruits and kids into players and leaders even further down the road from an NCA perspective and sustain the standards and the behaviors and the values that we I think have become known for you know the toughness the hard work the discipline um, the respect amongst people on the program how do they maintain and grow those things that actually draw together all of the X's knows. They draw together all of the the dead balls and the set pieces. How do they sustain and continue to, to keep those standards as high as they've been? And that's that's really what we're looking for. I always appreciate the time. Ready to get this uh, thing started again. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Ken. Big thanks to both Tom as well as Darren. Good conversations there. Soccer team is underway. Kevin, mm-hmm. they had yep. the first scrimmage. You had a good chance to uh, catch up with them. Uh, we'll be excited to follow them throughout the course of the fall. Yeah, and I I think it's going to be, as Darren talks about in the interview, uh, a little bit of a work in progress. And I, I think, quite frankly, he enjoys that challenge of having a lot of young players. He has, he has quite a few veteran players who play quite a bit and have won a lot. Uh, players like Matty Elwell and, and a few of the others uh, that, that have been with this program for a few years, even you know have some fifth-year players. But I, I think he likes the idea of, okay, it's, it's some of this is a new group and I have a chance to kind of mold these players and, and uh, help them along get started in, in their college careers or maybe some that have been here and just haven't played a whole lot just yet. But uh, yeah, de- definitely, definitely uh, Matty Elwell, uh, Myra Conti who's, who's been injured, uh, Matty Harriet uh, has been here a while and uh, you kind of go on down the line as part of believe Ella Schamberger is a senior uh, she's gosh she plays like every minute of every game and has since she was a freshman but uh, I think it's going to be a good team uh, there's a lot to replace uh, Haley Hopkins and Layla Azari uh, aren't here anymore and uh, they were an amazing combination and and a lot of offense over the years but coach Ambrose to me is one of the most interesting guys in Nashville to have a conversation with about just about anything whether you want to talk about his soccer program or you want to talk about anything else or you know just kind of where you are in life he He's such an interesting guy, and I, I really enjoy being around him. If you want to, you want to talk about the the turf on the uh, the soccer field. We, when we were, we got done doing the interview, and, and we're walking back toward the McGugan Center, 
we stopped and, and looked at the field and he pointed out spots and, and we had this in-depth conversation. It was great. Uh, and, and, he, and he told me that a lot of that went back to when he was coaching small college soccer that, where he, you know, in those days, you're doing a little bit of everything, even if you're the head coach. You're doing the field, you're driving the van. I mean, you, you, lots of coaches have those stories. So really, really interesting guy. Yeah, fantastic. And I know you'll be doing a bunch of games on the SEC Network Plus. Uh, so I look forward to watching those uh, Vanderbilt soccer on the SEC Network Plus. Should mention coming up on Thursday, Tennessee Tech will be the opening day opponent. Vanderbilt plays uh, Memphis in an exhibition game uh, over the weekend. But Tennessee Tech uh, will be here on, on Thursday to start off the season, and then things get rolling from there. I know uh, Purdue is coming in after that. But uh, we'll be doing quite a few games on SEC Network Plus. Uh, really looking forward to working with that group again. We're going to have nine games on there. There will be two home games that are that are linear games, uh, one against Purdue and one against Arkansas later on in the season. But uh, work with that program, done the games for, for several years, and uh, great to be back this season. Big congratulations to Scott Brown and his family as his son is going through some really special and fun moments right now as they're on their way to the Little League World Series. Mm-hmm. That is just light years cool to watch, and that's that's a very special and important family to the, to the Vanderbilt nucleus here. Uh, and look, they've been through their ups and downs as all of us have, um, to have that family see that level of success. It's, it's very yep. heartwarming to watch that for sure. It really is. Uh, the, even the uniforms look familiar for yes, the, uh, for do. the little leaguers, the, uh, the black <laughs> uniforms of the gold pinstripes, but I have some friends up in Bowling Green and, and a lot of their kids, uh, for the BG East team, they, they played there a couple times. And that to me was amazing to, to, watch these games and see my high school friends in the stands with their kids playing so congratulations to uh, to scott and to hope, hope they have a great experience up there in williamsport because that is super cool all right so we'll wrap up this episode of the anchor the new uniforms that vanderbilt football put out uh give me your thoughts i'm a huge fan i like simple i like clean i like classy those are all of those things uh you are where I would say simple, clean, and classy. Check, check, and check. I, I'm a big fan of the new uniforms. They uh, they remind me of when Clark Lee played, and I'm sure that's part of by design. Uh, just very simple, basic look. The the one thing that's different is the helmet. The V on the helmet is like, say, a V on the uh, Vanderbilt baseball cap, yes. uh, where it's been the Star V logo or, or maybe an anchor in, year, in more recent years. Uh, the V on the helmet is something new. Uh, there was a logo probably 20 years ago there was the v with with vanderbilt and block letters across it but just the plain v on the helmet i don't know that i remember that one i I really like them i thought they looked great whatever combination it was my favorite is is black jersey white pants gold helmet i I think that's just the the classic vanderbilt look I, i really liked him big fan Big fan. Don't forget, we've got a ton of content continuing to come your direction over the next couple of weeks as we get ready for kickoff. Uh, The Commodore Hour will be back uh, as we get closer to kickoff. You can look forward to those being repurposed and rebroadcast right here on the Anchor uh, podcast channel. So if you miss one episode on a Monday, you can go back on Tuesday or throughout the rest of the week and listen to those, which I think is uh, hopefully a nice addition for the fans. Uh, if you just don't have the ability to catch it on a Monday night and we'll be, you know, you and I just left not too long ago, a content planning uh, <laughs> meeting. Uh, everybody loves meetings, but this one I think was uh, productive. And I think we, we moved the ball forward in coach speak. I, I know we'll be putting out some new stuff soon. Andrew even volunteered to lead a oh. committee which I was very, very proud of you. Oh, that. my goodness. I said, well, the preface was future me will be very disappointed in current me. But so uh, anyway, looking forward to it. Kevin will be back at it next week with another episode of The Anchor. Always a lot of fun. 
Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.